good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you are listening to this episode of She Speaks Stories. We just want you to know that you are welcome and we are glad that you have chosen to be with us today. This is Portia. And this is Katie. And we're so excited about today's episode. Um, I personally am just so excited because Yesterday, we had a Zoom call with a group of North Star women, about 100, 100 women on this Zoom call. I didn't even know you could have that many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Portia brought such wisdom um, about our times and how to handle all the craziness uh, going on and have our voices heard and um, whether we're white or brown or black. How do we wade in and be true Christ followers? And so our guest today is going to help us with that conversation also. And it's so needed right now in our country. So we're so thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have Christy Lauren Adams with us. She's a playwright, a youth advocate, an ordained Baptist minister, which I love. <laughs> and she co- she's a co-director of diversity at the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Get ready, Story Tribe. You're going to adore today's guest. She's Brooklyn-born, Jersey-raised, and the author of Parable of the Brown Girl, a book that demonstrates how God uses the narratives we most often ignore to teach us the important lessons in life. So welcome, 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 Christy. Thank you. Can't wait. We're so glad to have you. And I just want to jump into that book, Brooklyn Born in Jersey Raised. Oh, yeah, I and- was like, where did you get that bio? I wonder, that's one. I don't know when the last time I said that. Phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I love the phrase. I am Brooklyn Born. You can have it. You can use it anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, I can. I that again. I love it. And Gwen, uh, in her notes, said that your dad was a police detective and your mom was a teacher. Yeah. So can you just describe your childhood and some of your highlights and some of your challenges? Yeah. It's interesting because it overlaps a little bit with some of the things I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yes, was born in Brooklyn and, and we weren't there too long. I moved, we moved here uh, and I'm in New Jersey right now just with my family. Sometimes I go back and forth during the pandemic. Um, but I, um, uh, we, we moved when I was in the second grade. And so I grew up in a time when Brooklyn was, was black Um you know, this, that whole little area in New York city, it was really just, and I'm not going to say African-American, it was black American. Right. Um, because there was just so many different um, types of black people from different places, the islands. And, um, but for me as a child, we were the majority. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know racism. I didn't know other, I didn't know what it would even feel like to be the minority quote unquote, um, we were just, I just existed. And, um, and so I went to actually a Brooklyn junior Academy. It was a private school, it was all black private school, pretty strict. Um, you know, strict to the point where, you know, they spanked your legs, you know what I mean? That that was back in the day. Right. (laughs) So, you know, very formal, you know, all of that. Um, and so people would probably call that respectability now. Right. Because we, we were really, taught to behave in a particular type of way, but all of our teachers, it was all black excellence, right? Yeah. 
um, well, when it was time to move, um, we were part of like this sort of great migration, we call it, on this side of the country, right, in the 80s when New York was getting overcrowded and people were trying to move to the suburbs to just have a little bit more space, which sure. they'll probably wind up doing again now. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see an influx of that. Um, and so we, we, we moved to Jersey, which wasn't too far away where they are now. It's about 50 minutes away from the city. Okay. Uh, so my dad was still working as a detective. Uh, he was working for New York Port Authority. Mm-hmm. And my mom was still working as a teacher, but then she wound up finding a job out here in Jersey, uh, but my dad was still doing that commute. We were still even going to church. We went to Bethany yeah. Baptist Church. My dad was a deacon at Bethany Baptist Church. My mom was a deaconess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the historically black churches that were pretty well known at that time. We were still making that commute, even though we were living in Jersey. But what I want to mention is that what stands out is that, you know, uh, East Brunswick, where my family lives and where we moved, was all white. Okay. There was no diversity, you know. Um and so I went to a public school and I remember the first day of school, I mean, hundreds of mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. and sea of white faces, right? Mm-hmm. And I just remember not feeling hatred or anger or, you know, any of those things. And it's interesting going back in retrospect, because the only thing that kids have to go off of is emotion. Right. They don't have the language that we have to say, that's a microaggression. That's, this is how I'm feeling, you know, right. there were no words to put to it. And I hadn't had those conversations with my family or otherwise. So I remember we were all lining up for the first day of school outside. And like I said, hundreds of students. And I felt so different. Mm. It was like a complete culture shock from being in, you know, black Brooklyn with my, you know, small private school, small all black private school to now pretty much all white huge public school in a suburban area and we didn't even have to get dressed up me being you know wearing just normal clothes was weird to me (laughs) so you know and then people weren't talking to me I was I was different in every sense of the definition they didn't know what to make of me the students I don't Mm -hmm. think or the teachers Mm -hmm. you know Um, because not only was I black but I was dark Mm -hmm. you know and so that made my blackness stand out more right And um, so I had a really, really difficult time Mm -hmm. and I couldn't articulate that there, nor could I articulate it when I came home from school. Right. You know, so it all, it wound up being internal for a long time. How old were you when you started at that school, Chrissy? Yeah, that's exactly what I was in the second grade. How old are you when you started? You're seven. This because I have kids in that. Okay. Yes. I was in the second grade. Okay. You were a baby. Yeah. I was very young and um, just confused. Mm-hmm. And I spent the majority of the time like, you know, because you you when you go when you're new to a school, you're going to try to find new friends anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I had really close friends at my other school. Um, but trying to find new friends just on a normal you know basis is difficult. But right. then being the only black girl in every sense of the definition, you know, and then being on the playground and you're just sitting there and kids will come up to you. And why does your skin look like that? Right. right. But they're asking, like, why is it white? Like, you know, mm-hmm. if I didn't put lotion on it. Sure. You know, what's that color? Mm-hmm. You know, your hair, all of that. The first time I was called the N-word on the mm-hmm. playground was at that school, right. you know, um, when I was just trying to play with two white boys, right. you know. So those are the things that I experienced. But the good thing that I think that my family, um, I really appreciate, is that one of the things we, the first thing that we did was try to find a, a church home. That was the thing 
Mm-hmm. You're going to find a church home. Mm-hmm. And we were looking for a black church okay, mm-hmm. we were, um, that stayed in the tradition of um, African-American history and culture and very much similar to Bethany Baptist. Mm-hmm. And so not too far from where we live is uh, this area called Somerset, New Jersey. We found a church called First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens, and it wound up being, I don't, I don't even know who I would be today if there was no First wow. Baptist. Um, because that was, you know, they, we went over there, we joined the pastor at the time, um, had just got to the church. He was really big. He was the executive director of uh, rainbow push coalition with, um, Jesse Jackson. He was very big on, you know, um, not just civil rights, but, you know, community and Mm -hmm. education and all that. He wound up being secretary of state for New Jersey during that time when we were, uh, so, and I, I mentioned all that because he was more than just the preacher in the pulpit. Our church mm-hmm. was very out in the community. You yeah. know, something happened, we're marching, you know, yeah. like, and we're not just marching, but you're putting together, you know, str- strategic things. Yeah. Um, and so my life was half suburban, you know, right. whatever, dealing with the stuff here. But also then during the week, we were driving down to First Baptist, you know, whether it was youth group, youth youth ministry mm-hmm. or choir rehearsal, you know, some of my best friends in the whole wide world, I, even to this day, wow. are from First Baptist from my mm-hmm. time there. So it was more than just Sunday mornings. Sure. And so, so much of my Black identity um, was tied into my roots in the church. I and like I was that. able to sustain a Black identity and grow right. in it mm-hmm. because I had that as my other life. Sure. You know, no, so. I love that. I love that. That's one of your anchors and one of your foundations of your life. And you can point back to a lot of who I am is because of this anchor that my, my parents made sure it was in my life. It was more than just the, the drive by church is what I'm hearing from you. It was oh, more gosh. than just a checking off the box. This was plugging into Christian community and plugging into Christian community that reflected the values of your family and, and how to frame how you see the world and how you see yourself. I love that. I love that so much. Um, Our next question, um, you know, sometimes we, we know things in our head, but we need to hear it outside our ears. So, you know, everything that I'm about to say, but this is just as a reminder for you that (laughs) you're a playwright. We mentioned that in the bio, a Temple University graduate with an advertising degree and a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary. Hello, with a Master of Divinity degree. Okay, with you currently being the Firestone Endowment Chaplain and Instructor of Religious Studies and Philosophies at the Hill School, which we mentioned, which is a boarding school in Pennsylvania. You're the co-director of of diversity at the Hill. Yeah, I'm the director. And now you're the director. (laughs) See? See? And then um, now, let's see, I'm going to, where else is that question? Previously, before this, you worked as the interim Protestant chaplain at Georgetown University Law Center in Georgetown University. You were the associate campus pastor for preaching and spiritual programming at Azusa Specific. Side note, yes, girls can preach. Let me keep going. Uh, at Azusa Pacific uh, University in Southern California, and you were the director of youth ministries at First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens in Somerset, and that's where you grew up. So this is an amazing resume, and I know that while we are not defined by the things that we do, the things that we do, they do a lot of defining in us and help us show who we are. So, oh, also, listeners, listen to this as I brag on my new friend and sister. We found out that you were on the medium.com list of 18 people of color to follow in 2018. So 
What do you attribute this feeling of wanting to give back that has driven you? Um, it's so much overlap with the first question, with what I ended yeah. with. Um, yeah. It was in me. It was, mm-hmm. it, if I didn't have that, I don't think that that would be, you know, other, so many people poured into me in my time um, at, at FBC. Um, obviously I went back to be, you know, the youth mm-hmm. pastor there. Um, but, you know, we had a community development corporation there. Um, and there was all these different levels. There was a foster care agency, a foster care agency called Harvest of Hope. We had um, uh, job and readiness, employment um, training. And then at the, at the bottom, I was, uh, after, after college, I worked as a youth specialist at our underground youth enrichment center. We had to, uh, after school programming um, where we offered tutoring for eighth grade and under and um, high school students would come and volunteer and tutor. And we had entrepreneur club and dance and all that. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm using that as an example because that's what I saw. That's what I grew up around. Right. And so when I got to college, it was like, oh, well, you know, after a while you can chill for a year, but it was so in you that you're like, I got to be doing something. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I, I got to be giving back. I got to mm-hmm. be, you know, you don't even see it as volunteering. You see it as just, isn't this what life is? It was, it was my lifestyle. Yeah. We went to school. Then we didn't just go to church. We, you know, we, the spirituality and all of those things were, were major components of this other part of who we were. So this, I can't just go to work, right? right? I can't just go to school. Right. It has to be this full life that is right. all encompassing of these different, really important parts. Mm-hmm. So it started there for me mm-hmm. and even continues. It's so interesting that, you know, some of my coworkers and whatever, they'll be like, you always do what you doing outside, you know, of, of this place. And I'm like, well, that's how my life has always been shaped sure. that you have your hands in these different areas of helping right. and supporting. I've saw it growing up and it was right. done for me. They poured, we didn't have one youth pastor. We right. had a whole team of, of adults that wow. were pouring into us, but then they would empower us. I remember my pastor was like, um, we were creating a one o'clock service. So we had like eight o'clock service, well, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, 1130, whatever. But then he mm-hmm. wanted a specific service for youth, for young wow. people. But then he was like, y'all lead it. And we were like, <laughs> you know, so what? we would like get together and we were like 13 years old or 14, mm-hmm. 15, like, okay, you're going to do the preaching. I <laughs> collect it. You know, we, we have, we, that's what we did. Wow. You know. Uh, Christy, I I love that. What I hear you saying is we didn't just go to church. Mm -hmm. We were the church. And isn't that what Christ had in mind? Um, Embody him and go be the church. I love that. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, that was it. I mean, and it was so, um, it was empowering, but we didn't know it was empowering. Like I said, we just thought, like, why is he telling us to do this? Why doesn't he hire somebody to to be, you know, the adults guided us and we did it. Yes. I love that. What I'm also hearing is that you were not just a consumer of the things that the church had to offer. Yes, you consumed and you took in things because people were pouring into you, but then you you took that and turned it around and gave it back, which is in the economy of the kingdom of God. The things that we have received, that's what we're supposed to give to others. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love that that wasn't just a principle that you could quote, but it was an action that you did. I, I hear a lot of James in you. I'll show you my faith by the yeah. things that I do. 
that was our slogan for <laughs> faith in action. Yeah, that's what we call it. faith in action central, faith in action this. That's all sort of we did. So, um, so I still I feel that mm-hmm. I feel that that is so much a part of like who I am in my being that you know if people point it out I'm like y'all aren't doing it too you know like I just <laughs> assume that that is that's the lifestyle that, that is of, of a of a believer you know, to do what you can with what you've been given. I can't do everything, but sometimes God gives me, like you mentioned playwriting. I haven't written a play in forever, mm-hmm. but, there, and sometimes I'll look back, you know, some of the things we did, particularly this play called God and Country that we did. And I'm like, wow, that was amazing. That was an amazing experience. I can't believe we even pulled that off. Mm-hmm. I don't have the grace for that now. I had the grace for it in 2015. Right. I don't have the grace for it now. Right. Every, every season, God will give me something different and I mm-hmm. use whatever it is that God gives me. And when it's over, it's over. I love that you said that. Sorry, Portia. No, I was just going to say that sometimes we hear someone's story like, oh, okay, I want to be like Christy. So I'm going to do this, 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 and this. But you just said a very important statement of, I I don't have the grace to be a playwright anymore. That was for that season and for that time. God might bring it back, but right now, that's not what he's asking you to do. (laughs) And so like, we have to do the thing that God is asking us to do and not just try to replicate what we see somebody else doing, because we may not be graced to do that thing. And I was going to say, he graced you to write a book. Uh, You you might not be writing a play, but (laughs) book writing is so hard. Um, hard. But your book, (laughs) Parable of the Brown Girl, came out in February. I don't know when you had time to write a book, but you did (laughs) because he gave you the grace. But curious, why, um, why did you write that book? Why the title? Um, Talk about that a little bit. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm going to give you the short, the condensed version. I was, um, someone reached out to me um, and from Twitter or whatever, you know, it was a, the acquisition, acquisitions editor. And it's just like, hey, you know, we, we, we'd love for you to write for us. We've seen your stuff, you know, for a particular publishing company, not Fortress. And um, I said, I don't have anything to write. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd love to, but I don't have... I can write an essay, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have anything to write 40,000 words worth of anything. Um, So we we brainstormed, we talked back and forth, emailed a little bit for a few months, periodically. I was still working at Georgetown, I think, yeah. And um, so then uh, it it took a few months for me to actually even get back. Mm -hmm. And then I I thought a little bit more and I said, oh man, I I had been, like after Georgetown, it took maybe like two years where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was working back at my church again. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Jersey and was working at a, uh, past, uh, a Christian wellness center. Um, it's a counseling center nearby and counseling girls actually mm-hmm. as a pastoral counselor. And um, so I said, oh, well, I know black girls because people were just sending their daughters left mm-hmm. and right mm-hmm. in, in Somerset to, to, to us. And they would just put put them off on me and I had these great conversations with these girls and I've been working with girls all all my all my career but this was the first time it was like just one-on-one centered it wasn't in any program and my life was really changed by a lot of these conversations I had with these girls uh because there was no pretentious anything it was just white walls and us and just talk anyway fast forward so I remember saying I feel so full when I leave these conversations. And I remember saying, if I ever had a platform to center these girls' voices, because I'm like, no one's ever really going to hear their, these particular girls' stories. Right. Um, 
not and and feel the change that I'm feeling personally. I would love for other people to hear it. So I said, if I ever had the platform, I would use it. But okay, fast forward. I tried to use. I created this, something called the Becoming Conference before Michelle Obama's book. Um, <laughs> Thank you for the and, footnote. <laughs> yeah, I had to put that in there. And uh, so um, I thought it was through Becoming Conference, mm-hmm. but and it was. Mm-hmm. But so I didn't even think twice when someone approached me about the book. Mm-hmm. And as I sat on it for six months, I said, oh, my gosh, maybe it's the book. I write mm-hmm. about black girls. I'm saying I don't know anything. I know how to be a black girl. I know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that I is what that. I, I was it. like, I am a black girl. I was a young one at some point, you know, like it makes sense. So, um, so anyway, so put up a, a we did a whole um, proposal, you know, uh, and I called it Parable of the Brown Girl because I always said, you know, what if the, these girls were in the gospel stories? I always felt like these are the most marginalized, oh. the conversations that I was having. What if Jesus met these girls, which Jesus is meeting these girls, and yes. they're just not in the text. So I would love to put that. Then I always said, oh, what would it be called? It could have been Parable of the Black Girl. I just felt like um, a lot of the stories are like very il- illustrative and mm-hmm. metaphoric and all that. So I felt like anybody from first century, whatever, would look at one of these girls and not say black. Black is just ingrained in our uh, right. language. They might, but they would probably look at it as a little brown girl. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just a language choice. So that was where the title came from. So I pitched the, uh, that we were excited. We pitched it, she pitched it to our team. They rejected it. Mm-hmm. They felt like I needed to write, you know, about all girls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, you, we put those stories in, but it needs to be broader. We need to reach sure. a wider audience. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, they all girls mattered me. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm trying to say black girls matter. Right. And then I got angry. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the woman was like, I'm angry too. I get it or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. can you revise it? Blah, blah. I was like, nope. Sending mm-hmm. it somewhere else. So I sent yeah. it to two other places. Both got back to me favorably. I wound up going with Fortress. Okay. Um, now she works for Fortress. Wow. And uh, she circled back to me months later, right when I was getting ready to, right when we were getting ready to publish and um, said, hey, I don't know if you know, I work for publish for, for Fortress now. And I was like, wow. So I thanked her in my acknowledgements because had we not brainstormed or she never approached me, we would have never right. gotten the book. And now the two of us are talking a lot more about what a second book would look like. At, we're literally emailing as we speak. So wow. um, it's fun. It's fun to see the, how God brought us together. I love that so much, Christy. And I love the timing. I mean, oh, wow. you would never have known mm-hmm. as you're writing this book and planning and it comes out in February. And then here we are at what I feel is a turning point in our country. Yes. Um, you actually just pointed that out to me. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't see it that way. I, I and let me, let me explain to you why. Because COVID-19 happened. Right at the crux had this happened prior to COVID-19 and it's God's, it's God's way. Like, yes. I'm not saying God, you know, God finds a way to um, work within these things that, that, that occur. So I'm not saying God made it happen. Right. 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 But had, so, so Katie, like had the book come out and this happened after the book, then I'd be sit, sitting here like, yes, God, I mean, God knew this was going to happen. You know, <laughs> like, I would be right with you, but I had to go through a period of, Oh man, this whole thing stopped because mm-hmm. COVID-19, it, right. a lot right. was stopped and halted. Right. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, I was, and I had to come to terms with that um, and have to get peace about that. 
because um the you know we had been promoting and 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 I was like grateful to God that I had had was able to have a book release party and I mm. we were at Barnes and Noble so we did do something. Oh, you yeah. got to do a few things. But, but right at the crux, yeah. I mean, I'm talking like trying to about to be essence fast. I mean, there were a few things that were yeah. going to happen that were completely canceled. Yes. Yeah, and this was before all this, so I actually had to sit back and be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't my plan. <laughs> Definitely, I'm not sure my you plan. have a larger plan. Your timing may be late. You know, I yeah. I did not. I had God had to get me to a point where I was okay with like you know like Abraham Isaac. You know, <laughs> because only he knows what's coming down the pike. Right. No I had to give it up. I had right? to give up. Mm-hmm. I had to give it up. So I see this moment now, yes, in, in that way, but it's not, my reaction to it isn't, oh, God knew, yes. It, I, I'm still coming down off of having to come to peace <laughs> with, with it being stopped altogether yeah. Yeah. and God having a completely different type of plan for the book. Right. Absolutely. But Christy, I think COVID-19 <laughs> has given people uh, time to read too. Now, yeah, <laughs> so. I am seeing that. You know what? People were saying that during, right? Like in mm. March. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. You know? <laughs> I know. Because Trust I mean, me. I can't. I can't tell you how many events, yes. you know, yeah. and things that in-person types of things. Yes. New York Black Librarians, um, New York Black Librarians Association was celebrating their 50th anniversary. It was going to be wow. in Harlem and they were honoring young adult. Uh, so anyway, they're honoring three people for their books. Mm-hmm. The Parable of the Brown Girl was going to be one. It mm-hmm. was going to be at the Audubon Bolt Ballroom. Oh, you know, we're wow. talking about mystery oh, you yes. know that was in it i mean there were so many oh christy you know what i'm glad you gave me that small detail because that does and that was one of many bring it home like oh my goodness that would yeah. have been a life event but in life we, <laughs> we all yeah, yeah and we all get such serious disappointments um but that's where your faith comes in yeah and that's where you, that's where we do trust God. Okay, mm-hmm. this isn't my plan. I hate this. And it, mm-hmm. and it, it yes, He doesn't yeah. care if we grieve. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, He cares. Yes, he, grieves, yes. right. he grieves with us, but He's not saying, "Well, where's your faith? Don't grieve. You can grieve the loss yes. of those fabulous things." And that's yeah. the thing. They were fabulous and uh, wonderful, and they had to do with me. Wow. God was like, let me me just, I I have a plan for the book that I wrote, like him. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's it's a different type of plan. It's not flash and all of that. You have to get on board with my plan. Wow. (laughs) No, I just love that authenticity of recognizing we, when God does things with us and through us, it's exciting and it's fun. And we think about the potential and then people ask you to do stuff and you're like, yay. And then you're like, oh, oh yeah. Um, God, you're in control. We want to lift up your name. But I just appreciate you saying that because I think sometimes when we see people who have a platform, we get so enamored with the person that we forget about their Lord. We forget about their savior. We forget about the one that they're pointing us to. And so thank you for just being so authentic with our listeners so that they hear, yeah, I did a thing. And it was an exciting thing that God took from my life experience. And it didn't work the way that I wanted to, but I had the opportunity for my heart to come back around to, oh, yes, you have a good plan. And I would go so far as to say that you've only even seen the tip of the iceberg of what the plan is, because that's what God's word says. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, dream, or imagine. 
And so I, I am excited to see what happens. Like in my mind, I'm thinking right now, as, as I'm sure this is happening to you as well, Christy, people keep saying, what resources can you give to me? How can you help me learn in this season? This is a book because I just finished reading it. I've got like, I'm on the last chapter. <laughs> okay. um, that I, with all confidence, can say to fellow pastors and youth workers and anyone that if you will read this book, Parable of a Brown Girl, that you will have experiences because you are climbing into somebody else's experience, because that, that's how we empathize with others, right? Is we get to hear their stories. Would you be willing to share a couple of the stories from the book with us? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, gosh, you know, when people ask me, I'm like, I have to narrow it down. No, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay. So here's, people usually like to talk about chapter one. I'm not going to talk about that right this second. Mm-hmm. There is one, um, the parable of the angry brown girl. And yes, the reason why I start please. With that one, <laughs> the reason why I start with that is because um, angry black girl, angry, you know, is is a fr- is a phrase. It is a thought. It, it, it's it's probably the more familiar out of the ones that I've I've pointed out. So, uh, so this this young lady, um, I still have a relationship with to an extent. I still see her from time to time, but she, um, it's. It's about, I'm trying to figure because I changed her story a bit. So I know her. So I'm trying to figure, I'm trying right. to shape it so that it's accurate with the book. So I'm not giving her a thing away. Right. But she, um, she has a, 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 her mom and her dad, of course, they're, they're split. Um, but when she was very young, her mother uh, is alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And um, she has seen some things, you know, being a, being a young girl. And uh, there was one time she went to be picked up and her mom picked her up, but her mom picked her up drunk, drove back to the house where she thought she picked, you know, came, knocked on the door. I'm here to pick her up. And they were like, she's in the car, you know, Um, or, you know, there were times I didn't write about this. She'd be stopped on the side of the road. And one time the police stopped her on the side of the road. The girl was in the back of the car, like five years old. The mom was asleep because she was so drunk. Um, and that's just that's just one of many sort of traumatic experiences that this young girl's had and watching her mom being take away a handcuff. Um, so as so when she was brought to me, she was brought to me angry. Um, you know, she didn't want to talk to me, she, you know, and she had an attitude the whole the whole time, the whole, whole first part of our, our, our relationship. Um, but as I talked to her, I realized why she was so angry, you know, Um which is what we don't give a lot of the black girls benefit of the doubt in that area. And her anger extends to school. She's fighting. She was fighting. Um, everybody, you know, cussing teachers out, you know, you name it. Um, and so it, the, the whole chapter, I'm not, so I'll tell you other chapters of actual stories, but I'm giving you just a little bits and pieces of her to start off with. Cause she represents so many girls. Um, that, you know, there's not a lot of room for her anger. All they see is angry black girl. You know, mm-hmm. I posted a video of the girl that was in the uh, in one of the marches. She's so young um, and she was screaming, no justice, no peace. And everybody was like, go ahead, little sister. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, little sister, until an adult labels her an angry black girl. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm 
so I didn't put this in it. So fast forward, this girl has sort of changed her life around. You know, mm-hmm. she's junior high now. And um, so this 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 past September, she was I saw her at her grandmother's funeral and mm-hmm. she ran up to me, hugged me. And she's like, you know, I'm not fighting no more. I'm running for president of my school, SGA. You know, and I was like, that's so great. You know, it's, it took a lot, a while to work with her mm-hmm. so that she could express herself and not feel judged for it. Right. Um, and just giving her room and be mad with her. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of times black girls need people to be mad with them, mm-hmm. you know, not like, Oh, pity their anger, but be like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. You know? Right. Um, and so, um, so I'm saying this story because she ran for SGA president. She was excited. I was happy for her. You know, she's not perfect, but her, she's right. getting a little bit better grades. Mm-hmm. So her dad goes on Instagram and um, he's like, I'm up, upset because she's not allowed to run. She was, she was right. Oh, no, he posted a picture of her putting posters up. She was so excited. So a few weeks goes by, the principal calls her and, and is like, she can't run based off of her behavior from last year, right? So she's, what, you know? Um, so this wasn't like September. This was like November. This was yeah. months later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she gets upset. Her dad's upset, mm-hmm. you know? So then um, I'm like, I'm upset. I was in Pennsylvania and I was like, I n- normally, this is a fight I'm going to jump in. So I, mm-hmm. I emailed the principal. The principal emails me back and basically says, you know, I tried to talk to her today, but she just like pulled away from me. Like, and that's what I mean. Like I tried to talk to her in the hall and she just pulled away from me. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm concerned about her running. And I was like, well, why do you think she pulled away from you? You embarrassed her and told her that she couldn't mm-hmm. run three months after, or, right. you know, weeks after whatever. Um, of course she doesn't want to talk to you. She sees you as the enemy. So right. now you're like, this is what I mean. She's angry. No, she wasn't. She's mad at you. Right. <laughs> you right. triggered that. Right. And so then there was all this thing, you know, then we talked on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what I don't want to see is for her progress that so she had to pull herself up out. She had a mm-hmm. little bit of help. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have all the resources that these other girls have to pull mm-hmm. herself up out of her anger and try to change her own little life right. as a 13 year old. Right. <laughs> she shouldn't right. have to. Right. And hasn't had support. So it took a lot for her to change her, try mm-hmm. to change or make changes mm-hmm. to her grades, mm-hmm. to even feel the confidence enough to run for president and want to pour back in. You know, right. is there is there a policy that you have that based off of people's behavior from the previous year that they can't run? If so, we need to see it in writing. Right. You know, like you're singling her out. And so she was like, she has made changes. I've seen, you know, the best in her this year, mm-hmm. you know, but we were just concerned. You need to say something at the front, at, at right. the top. Right. You know, not embarrass her in front of her friends. She's already put up posters. Right. And now all of a sudden she can't run, right. you know. So fast forward. So then she, um, they, the teachers, I couldn't go to Jersey. So her mom and her stepmom and her dad and a few people met. And then they, um, her, her principal called me and was like, you know, I was so proud of her. Um, because she came to the meeting and she, you know, we asked her, why do you want to run? And she told us why she wanted to and all this other stuff. And we were just like, wow, she's so mature. And so she's, she started, she running. I said, but you know, she had to explain herself to a room full of adults. And yes. that is the, that's the issue that I have. She shouldn't right. have had to, you know, maybe right. one of you, you know, right. and, but that whole thing could have gone wrong. And I'm using that as an example, because here we go you know, this could, this could have been a, this could have been bad. This could have perpetuated the cycle of her Mm -hmm. going back into her quote unquote anger and her saying, you know what, just forget it. You know, nothing I do works. I'm going to start fighting again. I'm going to start doing whatever, you know, if people hadn't gone in and really advocated for her and intervened, 
Right. The girl called me after and was like, I just want to thank you for all your help and all that. And I was mm-hmm. just like, most black girls don't have somebody that's going to call up right. the school and, right. you know, fight for on their behalf. She would right. have had to have done that on her, her own. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to deal with a lot of those things specific that she did have to deal with as a young right. black girl. But I did have to go through a lot of stuff on my own. Right. Um, and it helps to have that advocacy and someone that can stand there. So that was not as quick, but that was one story, Angry Brown Girl. The second story, um, chapter one, is of a girl, nine years old, going through some things that I was counseling. Um, And uh, so her mom uh, and her very close, you know, her um, uh, mom's boyfriend is getting out of jail and was moving back to the house. And they only had a one bedroom and... So she was sleeping on the couch when he came back. She didn't feel that comfortable. She didn't like him, you know, and mm-hmm. her, her real dad lives not far from them, but like he's well off suburban home, nice job, new family, new, new daughter, new little baby daughter and mm-hmm. a stepson. And she doesn't feel comfortable there or want it there. Mm-hmm. And so it's starting to affect her at school a bit, but school is the only safe place she feels safe. And so uh, she would draw you know, um, she had a little journal that she would bring in. One time she drew some like, you know, little little gun to her head, a little stick figure gun, like what's the point? And I was like, uh, devastated even just seeing that. She just didn't feel like she had anywhere to turn. And then one time she asked me, you know, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. She's like, why did God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak? And mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know um another example of the type of conversations that I would have with these girls that I'm like there's no audience there's no nothing it's just this deep profound existential question that this <laughs> nine-year-old girl is asking yeah. and she doesn't even realize it and it it stopped me in my tracks um mm-hmm. because I just felt for her and I felt like I was her and so I didn't want to just be like, you are strong. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. even respond like that. I just right. was like, let me get back to you on that. Right. So we met, I thought about it all week. We met up a week later and I just was like, you know, warriors are weak. Mm-hmm. I was like, that doesn't mean that you're not a warrior. Mm-hmm. Warriors are weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to reflect on my own life and be like, wow, I'm weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak? And the chapter goes on to reflect on that and particularly in light of black women and the strong black woman mantra, you know, and how we have to carry this, how it's, it's good to be looked at as strong. We have to carry this. There's no room for vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you know, and how as a nine-year-old girl, this is starting to be ingrained in her and doesn't even realize it. And these things for black women, they, they get passed down for generations. We, We don't even realize it just by nature of our society, Mm-hmm. And the things that we have to deal with, they just get inherited for these mm-hmm. these little girls. And I was just thinking about how she's going to have to deal with being a strong black woman, um, and, and but how I needed to stop that or try to find a way to interrupt that message and say, "But you can be both. You can be strong, and mm-hmm. we, God makes room for us in our strength and our weakness." So that's two stories. Another one. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that in the the little girl that was fighting through being angry that we have to push beyond what the anger is. There's a reason for the anger. Um, in our, in our current society right now, people are very angry and there's a reason for the anger. And if we'll just take a moment to ask and to lean in 
tell me, tell me why you're angry. And sometimes I think it takes, it takes a moment to find out why you're angry. I know sometimes I'm, I'm upset about something and it takes me a minute Mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, I'm actually angry right now because of this and this and this that happened two days ago. Right. Um, But if you are experiencing things of not ever being validated for why you're angry, I have to, I have to remind myself that with my own children of Hmm. there's a reason why they're angry and it might be because they felt embarrassed. It might be because they thought that I was, I, my decision was unjust. Um, And so the Lord has stopped me on more than one occasion. I'm sure it will happen more so as we, they are still little boys of stop, lean in, find out why they're angry and don't just respond to the anger. Don't not even respond. Don't react to the anger, but dig a little deeper. Anger is a signal of come a little closer. And so I appreciate you equipping our listeners with that of it's, it's not just being an angry black or brown girl. There's a reason for it. Any angry person has a reason for why they are angry. And if we are going to show the love of Christ and the grace of Christ, then we come closer um, Paul says, I became all things to all people that I might win some. And so lean into someone else's experience. And I think that's what your book, it's such an invitation. I saw there were moments in it when I saw myself, I, I saw or heard echoes of conversations I've had with some of my girlfriends of just like, she's not wrong. <laughs> this is, this is what it's like to experience this. But I don't think I, I personally have had an opportunity to phrase it, like there has been a lot of self-reflection and your book has been a healing bomb to my heart right now and present day. And so I just thank you for taking these voices of these young ladies and packaging it in a way so that it is accessible and recognizing that their stories have value. And because you've written down these stories, there are going to be people that have an understanding right now that is part of the change that is being demanded across our nation right now. Amen. Because there's something Amen. tangible that people can hold on to and go, oh, I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. And they're beginning to have an understanding and they're beginning to have a knowing. And it's a for such a time as this resource. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. That's Wait, what I was saying. There. About that's what that's, I was saying about the timing of this. Mm-hmm. That's, Absolutely. The title, that's the title I'm throwing around for the next one. That's why I said. Are you serious? <laughs> Well, this take that as a confirmation from Holy Spirit. He's leading. And what I I am praying and will continue <laughs> to pray is this podcast would whet the appetite yes. of our listeners around the world to get this book and enter in empathetically mm-hmm. um, with people. And maybe you're not sitting down like Christy got the privilege of sitting down face to face and hearing stories, but you can read, you can empathize, and then you can get motivated um, to, to enter in and listen. I mean, I, that's yeah. what I hear you saying, Christy. You sit down, listen, get mad with them, yes. um, you know, and validate their anger, but then lead them to a sense of hope and identity that, that gives them the confidence to make different choices uh, based on those emotions. Anyway, listeners, get this book. (laughs) Is it at at Amazon? Can you just go on Amazon? Yeah, you can go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Noble. Uh Okay, okay. I I have the e-version, so I've been just flipping pages on my phone, (laughs) highlighting things. It's just, um, it really really is a gift for right now. And um, 
Christy, wow. just, just thank you for being a voice uh, because the work is hard. The work is long. Explaining, when you're explaining something over and over again, um, it can be exhausting. But I know you know Galatians 6, 9, don't become weary in well-doing because in due time you will reap a harvest if you faint not. And um, there are things that are coming up. There are things that God is like, see, this is, this is your place on the wall. And I'm just so appreciative of this. And something that we ask all of our guests is if you could leave us with one idea today, what would it be? Idea? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to reflect on everything you just said to me. I'm <laughs> just like, wow, I really sat with me. Um, I think it would be what you just said. Uh, we all have, we all have our part. Um, Corinthians talks about the body has many parts, you know, many, many members. Um, and one part can't say to the other that they don't need, you know, um, I don't, I don't have everything. I don't have what God put in you. Um, and everything that God has given us is unique to who we are, our gifts, our persona, our, we all have a part to play equally as important. And, um, when we stop trying to play each other's parts wow, and, uh, be jealous of each other's parts or, um, you know, so focus on somebody else's something to the extent that you neglect your own thing. Wow. Um, then, then nothing, nothing's going to be able to get done, particularly a part of God's plan. And um, so I just want to encourage, I try to encourage everyone around me to, um, you know, thank you for, you know, your people and people say, oh, you can't believe you did this and you do all these things. And it's like, yeah, uh, but they're my things. And I right. can't wait to see your things because yes. I, I need your things. If you don't do your things, then I'm not going to be a whole person. Then this world is not going to get to where it needs to be. Um, Then God's God's gospel is not going to get spread the way that it needs to. So I need the other person as much as they say that they need me. I I need these things that I'm doing to motivate someone to do what they need to do um, Mm. so that we can all function. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, um, one thing I want to highlight, I love your humility. When I read your resume, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I got a little nervous. <laughs> like, this, wow, this, you know, but I love your humility in saying when someone said, write a book, you said, what? I don't have anything to say. What would I write about, you know? <laughs> That's a lot of words. <laughs> you know, and it's words. like, really? And I then look at it. I'm like, when did I write this? What? <laughs> what? But then the way God, you know, like you said, God gave you the grace and the impetus to go, to go do it because that was your part. That was, that was a good work he prepared beforehand that you wow, would walk okay. in. Yes. So that he can manifest himself in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so beautiful. It just gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Um, and, and listeners, hang on tight to that. 
he, you have a story too. Maybe you don't have to write it down in a book, but your story matters. And Christy, what you were you're saying about these girls, their story mattered. Yes. It matters. And how could you get those stories out there? And um, stories change lives. Yeah. And thank you for being on here mm-hmm. and uh, helping hear just two stories, but now we can go get the book and hear more yes. stories. Yes. <laughs> hey, Christy, yes. how can people find you? How can they, they yeah. get more Christy? <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter, um, it's at Christy Lauren. That's okay. my middle name, Lauren. And on Instagram, it's at Christy Adams. Okay. Um, because my private is at Christy Lauren, so I keep that just with my family. But right. at Christy Adams on okay. uh, Instagram. Okay. I'm not on Facebook, and I probably won't get on now because they're sellouts. <laughs> I haven't been on Facebook before, but now I'm like, what? You're not taking a stand? Yeah, not right, right now. Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> see, we just, um, as we have different guests, we, we feel such a connection to them. And so welcome to the Story Tribe. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you for being with us. We are always um, thinking and praying and planning about future things. And um, I can see us throwing you an invite saying, hey, Christy, we got this crazy idea. Yeah, <laughs> You want to jump on with us? And um, yeah. we, just, we just so appreciate you taking what has been given to you and pouring it into us and to our listeners. Absolutely. You truly are a gift. You're a gift to the body. You're, you're a gift to this generation. Thank Absolutely. you. And so, and so are you, you're clearly in tune with God's move because when I first got the email about the, the interview being mm-hmm. in June and that might've been in January, sure, it was early. And I was like, wow, that's late. Like I was <laughs> like, that's so far. All of yeah. my things for were taking place, you know, within the week or the next sure. week or whatever. Sure. Isn't it amazing how this one was wow. planned so far out yeah. and the timing of this? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Sure. It's, it's God crazy. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. And, and beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. What an honor to spend time with you, my sister. Thank you. And, um, and to get a message of unity out there when you were describing the body, I'm like, what if we really had Christ as our head and listened to his brain sending signals to all of us and each part of the body did their thing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You could not stop the yes. love and the joy and the mm-hmm. kindness and mm-hmm. the good works and the mm-hmm. faithfulness and the gospel message and the healing. You couldn't stop it. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for a message of unity and delight. And uh, listeners, get that book. Yes. And uh, and we'll see you. We'll see you all next week. And Christy, hopefully, we'll be having further conversations with you because yeah. you're a delight. Thank you. All right. We love y'all. We love you. Bye, everyone. Bye.